I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 218. Today is our February book club episode, and we are talking about Helen Huang's The Heart Principle. Before we get started, I just want to remind you about our newsletter, which you can sign up for at our website, unabridgedpod.com. Twice a month, we release our newsletter, and one of those newsletters is looking ahead at what's coming up. So we go over our book club and our buddy read. There's a little reflection on a bookish thing that's always a surprise. And then our other newsletter is just sort of a little bit about us. We let you know what's going on in our lives, some things that we're loving, some things that we're looking forward to. So if you're interested in learning more about Unabridged, that is a great place to go. And again, you can sign up for that newsletter on our website. All right, for today's episode, we are going to start with our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading today? So I am reading Sarah Nisha Adams, The Reading List. And I had seen this all over Instagram and I'd heard that it's a book about books. So that really intrigued me. And I'm probably like 30% through, but this is a book about a widower named Mukesh and he lives in London and he has lost his wife and she's been gone for two years, but he's just has a hard, he's had a hard time feeling moored since she passed away. And then there's Alicia and she is working at the local library for the summer And she finds this crumpled up piece of paper in the back of a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's this list of books. And Mukesh comes in and he is, he has never been to the library. He had found a book that his, his wife had not taken back to the library. So he ventures out to the library and he wants to feel close to his wife again. So he tries to ask about a book recommendation and Alicia is just really kind of rude to him because she doesn't really love books. But then, then she finally at some point makes this recommendation for him to read To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's, it's basically so far a story about how we can connect over books and like how books can mean more than just what's on the page to people I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to play out because it just, it, it keeps switching between characters. So you're getting little snippets of stories, but I really like the way that the books are the center and focal point of how these people are coping and getting through hard times. So it's very good. Uh, again, that is Sarah Nisha Adams, The Reading List. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That sounds so good. You know, I'm there for anything about books, bringing people together. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard of that, Sarah, but it sounds great. Yeah, it's really, I really like it. Ashley, what are you reading? So I am reading Frida Sepetti's The Fountains of Silence. I had wanted to read, I've wanted to read this for a long time, but I 
it was the one book on my 2021 reading challenge <laughs> that I really wanted to read and did not. So I already told you all about that when we recorded that one. And here I am finally reading it. I'm so glad. This is set in Madrid in 1957 during Franco's reign. And it is horrifying. And I think I am really loving reading it. Listeners know that we were in Madrid for all of the fall and it's a place that's really close to my heart and I really love Spain. My family has spent a lot of time there and we have a lot of connections to people there. And I think that I have been really limited in my knowledge of just how horrible things were under Franco. Of course I knew and I have seen some of the aftermath. So I knew of it vaguely, but I was naive about how unbelievable it was that era is for the people who lived through it and so it is i love the way the book is set up there are two main characters and it is daniel who is coming from texas he is the son of an oil tycoon who is there his mom is spanish and but she has lived in america with his dad for his whole life and so she's from there and yet she's really removed from it at the same time but because of that he speaks fluent spanish and he has this tangential connection to spain but is very naive about what life is like there so they are there working out a unclear like it is vague what the deal is with the oil but there's something going on with Franco and his parents as far as why he's in Spain. But he's staying at this hotel. His family is very wealthy from the oil rigs and yet his heart is for photography and he's really passionate about taking photographs. And then there's Anna who works in the hotel. Her parents were Republican. They were teachers. Her mom was a Montessori teacher and her dad was also an educator and they were both killed. And she is trying to be silent about all of that because there's tremendous pressure on anyone to not have any of those connections. So she and her siblings are in abject poverty. They are doing everything they can to survive they're desperate for Anna to keep the job at the hotel because it's very much what's keeping the family afloat. The circumstances they're living under are horrific. One of the things that is so crushing is that they have to pay for rent of their mother's grave. And so they can never make any progress because they're always having to pay. And if they don't do that, they're going to exhume her body and dump it into a pit. And so it's this just horrible past that they are continually trying to look away from, but also that's a very vibrant part of their current situation because a lot of the poverty that they're encountering continues to be plaguing them because of the things that happened in the past. And so, I mean, I just think it's a phenomenal book. I am really, I've been really moved by it so far. You know, I've still got a long way to go, but I just think that the setup of those two characters really helps to open up the doorway of showing two very different sides of you know what people who were tourists coming in saw versus what the reality was like for the people who were living there and then daniel with the photography is that's opening up a really interesting aspect of it as well so and and like what what's censored of course in the news and how the dictatorship is taking control of what people do and don't see about what the country is like so again that is rita zapetti's the fountains of silence and 
it is phenomenal so far. I loved that book. I just think she does historical fiction for a young adult audience so brilliantly. And I love that book. I just was totally captured by it when I read it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I am listening to Margaret Verbal's When Two Feathers Fell from the Sky, thanks to Libro FM. This one came out in the fall of 2021, so I'm a little bit behind on this one. It is great. So this is about, it's about a lot of things. It takes place in 1926 in Nashville. I would say the protagonist is a young woman named Two Feathers, who is a Cherokee horse diver which means she goes with her horse up on this platform and they dive into a big pool of water, which just seems unbelievable to me. But I know that it did happen. This is based on history. And initially she was with a Wild West show, but now she's on loan to this zoo. This uh, It's the Glendale Park Zoo. And there's this whole cast of characters sort of circling around the zoo. There's one character named Hank who helps care for the animals and you see how much he loves the animals. There's a hippo. There's this huge tortoise that is really, really old. There are lemurs and he just has this great way with them. He is black and his family owns a lot of land, but they are in this weird, you know, it's 1926. So they're in this weird limbo between being well-respected by the community, but he still does deal with racism. He and Two Feathers are friends, but they have to be careful about being too open about their friendship because of their races. So you see as well, Two Feathers dealing with a lot of racism. There's a character named Clive who was in World War II. He's, he's British and he's suffering from PTSD. There is a character who is white named Jack, and he has become convinced just because he decided he wanted it to be true that he has Cherokee ancestry. And so he gives himself what he calls his Indian name and becomes obsessed with two feathers. Yeah, you can see that's going nowhere good. And there are a lot more characters, but there's one where I'll talk about. There is a ghost of a Cherokee who becomes embroiled in the plots spinning around two feathers. So I really, I love a book with multiple characters whose points of view we get into. I think Two Feathers is a wonderful character. She is really nuanced. She has this blend of, she understands that a lot of people see her as more masculine because she wears pants a lot and she's diving from the horses. So there are all these ways, like she really loves scarves that she tries to exert her femininity. And yet she still wants the power that comes to men and she can't get it. There's a lot of great, just direct discussion about the racism these people faced and, you know, and because it, it comes from different situations, because you see the way Hank has to deal with it and the way Two Feathers has to deal with it. There's a lot of nuance there as well. So it is great. And it's also just a lot of fun. Like, yeah, the descriptions of Two Feathers and her horse are really fascinating to see how they worked through it. They have a lot of acts, like they're two sisters who have a juggling act and they talk about like how many times they've broken their noses. And it's a really great mix of a lot of different things. So that is, makes it quite complex to discuss succinctly. But as you can see, it encompasses a lot. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one wraps up. So that is Margaret Verbal's When Two Feathers Fell from the Sky. Wow, Jen, I hadn't heard of that. That sounds fascinating. It's really, I think both of you would like it a lot. It's really, really good. 
All right. Well, sorry for that ramble, but we are going to switch over now to our book club pick for this month, which is Helen Huang's The Heart Principle. I'm going to read a brief summary. Anna has become a YouTube sensation after a video of her playing violin went viral, and it has completely ruined her enjoyment of her art. Quan is recovering from cancer and has not yet returned to normal life. After Anna's boyfriend announces that they should have an open relationship, Anna resolves to have a one-night stand in revenge and joins a dating app. Quan thinks a one-night relationship might help him get over his self-consciousness and does the same. You can see where this is going. When they meet, <laughs> things, of course, take an unexpected turn. And I didn't want to put this in the summary, but I will just say the turn is not just in the relationship, but this book takes a big turn partway through. So we are going to dive into our discussion now. Ashley, what is your overall impression of this book? Well, longtime listeners know that I absolutely love Helen Huang. I she really is the author who turned me on to reading romance and kind of opened that doorway for me. And so I've read her other books and this one did all the things that I loved in the others and I thought explored new topics in a new way and yet had all of the things that I've just loved about her work. I loved the complexities of the characters. I loved the self-consciousness that both of them experienced throughout the book. I thought that that was really well portrayed. And so, yeah, overall impression was that I was on board before I started because I love her work so much, but we all know that that means there's a lot of pressure for books when we feel that way about authors. And yet I absolutely loved this one. So, yeah. Great. All right, Sarah, how about you? I enjoyed this one. I think I I talked about last week about feeling like I might have some romance book fatigue. And I, I think like when we discussed the hating game and then, and also this one, I've found myself getting frustrated when, when there are two grownups who clearly like each other, but they have put this arbitrary constraint on the relationship where they only are going to be able to see each other for a finite amount of amount of time. So that I found that kind of frustrating, but at the beginning of this book, but once they kind of got over the hump of that, I really, really thought it was, I thought it, it explored a lot of really interesting things that come up in a relationship, not just a romantic relationship, but in family relationships and expectations that happen when you are a part of a family. And I, I really liked all of that. So overall, I really enjoyed it and thought it was, it is, has continued to make me a huge Helen Huang fan. What about you, Jen? What are your thoughts? I really loved it as well. So I will say going into this one, there had been some buzz on Instagram that some people did not like this one as much as her first two books because they felt, I, I will just say, so there's a part where Anna's father has a stroke and it becomes a long-term care situation. And there's a lot of discussion of, he, he doesn't have a living will in place and there's a lot of discussion of whether he wants to continue to live and whether they're doing what he wants. So anyway, because of that, a lot of people, they were almost putting out like warnings on Instagram that be careful. This is not the same type of thing that you've read before with Wong, which I did not find to be accurate. I feel like in all three of her books, well, this is the third, she deals with serious issues, maybe different types of serious issues than this one. But I felt like 
it was clear from the beginning that she is a romance author who has some issues that she wants to write about and that the romance is not just going to be focused on the romance, but on these, on these people's whole lives. And I, I will just say, I do not agree with that characterization of this book as being really different from her first two. With that said, I loved it. I just think she has such a knack for building chemistry between characters without making their whole character about the chemistry. Still, again, considering them to be whole people who have whole lives that they are working through and that their romance needs to fit into the rest of their lives. And that sometimes their lives need to change a little bit because of the romance and because beyond the romance, just because of their ongoing romantic relationship or their relationship with this new partner. So yeah, I, I loved it. And I know we're going to dig into what worked for us a little bit, but yeah, I just felt like it was consistent with what I love about Huang, not a departure from that. I don't know how you all feel about that, but I just, I thought that was really interesting (laughs) that people felt that. Yeah. I think that that's what works for me with her writing. And so I agree that this is a different issue than some of the other things that she's covered, but it's consistent with the complexities that are normally explored in her work. Absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah. I just kept wondering if I was off base on that. And then that is confirming. All right. Well, we are going to move to our next category, which is what worked for us. So Ashley, what's one thing that worked for you? So something that I absolutely loved, there were tons of things that really worked for me here, but something that I absolutely loved is the way that things did not tie up neatly the second that Quan and and Anna clearly loved each other. And I just really appreciated that because I felt like the temptation when you are telling a story, especially in a romance story, is to say that like love conquers all and that things are going to work out and that once they work out, everything's going to be fine. So like her music's going to be fine. Her relationship with her family is going to be fine. She is suddenly going to no longer have these struggles. and. I loved the way that when everything fell apart with her family, that Quan was there for her and it was messy and it was hard. And I think I have not seen that represented very frequently, particularly in what, again, I mean, I think this is a romance, but it also is not just a romance in the sense that it can be in a lot of genres. I think it covers a lot of different topics and therefore could fit in a lot of different genres. But I think a lot of times when we think about romance, again, it's focused on two main characters. It's really about the two main characters getting together. But I felt like there was so much more with Anna's mental health, with her relationship with her family, with Quan's recovery from cancer and learning to live with his new reality and the ways that his body changed. And I felt like all of that stuff continued to be complicated, even once they had kind of worked through their constraints of their relationship with the things that you were talking about, Sarah, some of which did feel arbitrary, arbitrary limitations. And even, even where Quan got so fed up with her, with Julian, in some ways that did feel a little hard for me to believe because I felt like he understood her so well that I was surprised that even though of course he would be hurt, I was surprised that he couldn't understand how she couldn't face her family to be able to confront them in that public way. So some of that, you know, I felt like, okay, let's let's work it out. But I just appreciated how even once all those things were worked out, Anna still struggled to play. 
she still was struggling with really dark thoughts, having a really hard time. And that instead of suggesting that those things should be fixed by the relationship, Quan found a way to be with her through it. That part was probably one of my most favorite things about the book. Yeah, I agree 100%. In fact, I would have read more at the end, like the the aftermath of them getting together. The aftermath sounds like a bad thing. Anyway, the the, the part that came after they, I would have read more. Like I yeah. almost felt like it was a little rushed because she was worried that readers wouldn't want to read that much after. And I would have read a hundred more pages about that because I think, and again, maybe that's problematic because I know the definition of a romance is that you have a happily ever after. And if you go much past that happily ever after, maybe that's challenging the genre conventions, but I don't think so. And I think it was so well done and it was so, I just like to see couples have to work through realistic things. And I, I really liked that too. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? What's one thing that worked for you? Well, it has to be Anna and Quan together. I just, I loved, I loved that how before she met him, I loved the discussion about her masking when she was with her therapist and her realization that she has never been herself in front of anybody but Quan and the way that he accepted her and loved her for exactly who she was. I just thought that was really beautiful. And I thought that that that's what I like about a romance is that it felt very believable. It didn't feel like they were kind of symbols of what a romantic couple should be. And it, it kind of goes back to what you all were saying about the fact that they had to work through things, which is real in a relationship. I mean, it's almost like when you fall in love, that's the beginning point, not the end right. point. And right. And right. I feel like a that's lot right. of times romance it's like the falling in love is the end point. But like, I really liked how she explored. I mean, almost half the book, they had realized they loved each other, but then there were all these other things to work through. And I really loved that. Can I just say when they watched the nature documentaries together, that is one of my favorite things ever. I thought that was so sweet. And it, it was very small, but it was also both of them being vulnerable and showing this dorky thing to the other person. And I have to say, so I want to go back to, I think Sarah, you talked about the one night convention. It can be annoying. The thing that worked for me about that was that each of them was feeling so vulnerable yeah. that that was a way they could protect themselves from feeling like they were ready to commit and the other person wasn't. And because their characters were so well developed I thought it gave them the freedom to develop that Anna and Quan thing. That is just so sweet. Yeah. Whereas if they had that kind of shell up where they were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long-term thing. Maybe they couldn't have been as open to that chemistry. I don't know. But yeah, I love them together. They're so sweet. Yes. I think they are so sweet together, but I did, for me, the one thing I agree that I get fed up with those conventions really fast, Sarah, but the thing that did work for me with the one night stand was particularly with Anna and the masking. Mm -hmm. I did believe that only in this set of very clear parameters for her, could she be like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be true to myself especially because she's trained herself her entire life not to be. And that part was really painful to me. I thought it was really well done in the book that just you can see how hard it would be to find a way forward with her family once she realizes she spent her entire life 
being a different person for their benefit. And so that did work for me in the sense that I believed that then she could love Quan in a very different way because for the first time in her life, and the more she has that experience, the more she can contrast it with the rest of her life, with Julian, with her parents, with her sister, to see like, oh my gosh, what my therapist said is true. And I really am doing this all the time every day. And so like that really worked for me. What about you, Jen? What was something that worked for you? So I really appreciated the portrayal of Anna's relationship with her sister Priscilla. And it was painful and horrible, but I thought it was so important for us to understand who Anna was and how she had become the person she was to have this older sister who did not see Anna and have these expectations that she had set up for Anna that created the masking and all of these high expectations, I think Anna would have had for herself anyway. And then Priscilla just piled on. And I also like that Priscilla was not necessarily a villain. You could see that she put pressure on herself too. Like I could see a book being about Priscilla and helping us to understand how she came about. And I also really liked that there was not this neat resolution to their relationship that Anna just had to accept the fact that she was going to have to move on and not reach the kind of understanding with Priscilla that she wanted. I thought that moment, that part where over and over Priscilla refused to accept Anna's new understanding of herself as being on the spectrum, that she diminished it, that she almost made it into a joke was so frustrating and so hurtful and felt so real. Like I felt like that is, I could exactly see it playing out like that. But it was so hard for Anna to get there herself. And then it made so much sense to her and helped her understand herself. And then I love that her mother contrasted that, that even with all the problems she'd had with her mom, her mom came to understand how that could explain so many things about Anna that then could help them have this closer relationship. Anyway, I, I just thought all of that was really powerful. It was really hard to read, but I thought it was really well done because I do think it just rang true. Yeah. Yes. And I loved that scene with her mom. And I appreciated when her mom said, you are autistic. And I read all these things and it helped me, you know, recognize these patterns I'd seen your whole childhood. But I appreciated how Huang showed both parts that sometimes the reception is like your mom, like her mom is in the story where it's like a light bulb turning on. And other times it is a stark refusal to accept the truth and seeing that play out with Priscilla. And I just loved that. And I loved that there was hope that things would work out and move forward, but that it wasn't simply that everybody in her family suddenly was like, oh. And I love that her mom was seeing a therapist and that yes. she started to see the value of that. And was it was just so nice to see that her mom was willing to grow and change instead of digging her heels in. So I appreciate that we saw both parts. We saw Priscilla who was digging her heels in and still adamantly refusing to open her eyes. Mm -hmm. And yet we saw the mom who was so ready to change. Yeah. All right. Well, we will move on now to our next category. This is a quote to discuss. Ashley, what quotation would you like to share? It was tough for me to narrow it down. And I will say I listened to this one thanks to Libro FM. And I usually read Huang's work. And I thought the audio was great. But it does. Uh, there were so many times I wanted to write down the quotes. And so the one that I chose is, 
It's like pricking yourself with a needle. Do it once and you're okay. You can ignore that it even happened. Prick yourself repeatedly without giving yourself time to heal and soon you're injured and bleeding. And there were so many things I thought were really beautiful, but that was really striking to me because again, we really come to understand how Anna has been masking in front of her family her whole life, but certainly as an adult where she has gotten, she's no longer living in her parents' home. So she does have her own space. She is able to be more herself outside of this dynamic that then when she's suddenly back home and caring for her dad, it is going to be excruciatingly painful because she is suddenly doing something that she was able to do in a much more isolated way. She's now doing all the time every day. And so I just thought that the quote was really powerful. And I think it speaks to a lot of the things that she worked out with her therapist that she came to understand about herself, about why it was so important for her to untrain this behavior that she's been doing to accommodate everyone in her life, that she's got to find a way not to do it anymore because otherwise she's pricking herself with a needle over and over and over and over again. And I thought like that was just really powerful. So that was one of the many times that I was like, yes, I think that is just so beautiful to illustrate what's going on for her. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that whole part was really vivid and painful. And again, just real. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? What's a quotation you want to share? My quotation is for that's the only place where true perfection exists. The blank page. Nothing I actually do can compete with the boundless potential of what I could do. But if I allow the fear of imperfection to trap me in perpetual beginnings, I'll never create anything again. And I just pretty simply just thought that encompassed a lot of Anna's anxieties and issues surrounding her loss of being able to play her violin, which was a very defining thing for her. So I did, I, I, that just really spoke to me. And I liked the way that that was explained about the blank page. And you can just feel her, her frustration when she's trying to play. And, but then she's in her head and she's, here's one wrong thing. And she keeps going back to the beginning. I just, I thought all that was really powerful and a great explanation of kind of what was going on inside her head when she's trying to, I, I liked how it, she said that people would say, just, just get over it or just play through. And then I thought that that was a really good illustration of how it was working in her mind and why she couldn't just push through and finish the piece. So I really like that. What about you, Jen? What's your quote? Yeah, mine is going to be along the same lines, but so mine was because it's art, you can't please everyone. The second you change it. So one person likes it, you'll lose someone who liked it the way it was before. Isn't that what you've been doing as you go in circles? You have to learn how to listen to yourself again to be yourself. And I thought that was powerful, both because of the place of art in the book, but also because that's true of Anna's entire life, her entire personality. She needs to figure out who she is and to be herself. And because her art was such a part of her relationship and of how she communicated with her family that complexity of the fact that, you know, Priscilla is going to get her a new violin and not even ask her if she wants one, that Priscilla just expects her to play at this horrific birthday party that they held for her father because, you know, daddy loves that piece and cannot see how just horrific asking her to do that when she knows what she's been going through with her art, when she knows that Anna is having these conflicted feelings about her dad so that I think art is such a part, her violin is such a part of her identity at the beginning. And also the fact that the way she went viral 
was because people were surprised that she was talented because of the way the video opened and the way you see that play into her vulnerability of this thing Priscilla wants her to take advantage of because she's famous. And Anna feels so self-conscious because that fame is built on, well, you look like this klutzy idiot and look, you're really talented. And so just the way all of this comes to affect her art and her ability to play and that that journey for her to figure out how to do things for herself, whether it's her art or just saying the truth is so powerful. I just, yeah, I loved all of that. Yes. I, that part worked so well for me. And then the struggle with how to care for people that we love, both of those things I thought were just so well done in the book. And, and then Quan's part, where with the deal and the merger and all that stuff, like that was a minor part of the larger book, but I loved seeing him work through all of that. So I just, I felt like so many of the issues in the book were so powerful and they are situations where things are really complicated. Right. And I love what you said, Sarah, that like in some ways, I think that you have, Huang gets the reader to go beyond like, why can't she just play the piece? Mm -hmm. Because I do think that at first that could be a cursory feeling is like, yeah, why can't she just keep going or play a different piece or whatever? But then because of the way we're able to see that part of her, we really get a good idea of why it's so complicated and how it ultimately winds up being all tied together. Too. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, we haven't talked about this and I don't, I was looking at our pairings. I don't think it's going to come up. I just want to acknowledge the fact that Huang deals with Quan's recovery from testicular cancer so well, because I think there's so much tied up in that particular illness with his sexuality and with the fact that he's chosen not to have the implants, but then how that makes him feel self-conscious and all of the fear he has in having a relationship again. I just felt like that portrayal is so sensitive. And I just didn't want to get through this mm -hmm. whole discussion without acknowledging that. And yeah. there's one other romance author, Chloe Liese, who I think deals with things that are potentially embarrassing for characters that they don't want to talk about. So in her last book, With You Forever, she talks about a character who has IBS that really impacts every part of her life. And so I appreciate so much authors who can write about romance and write about real life situations that people have to work through to get to have romances to have relationships anyway yes i yeah i just i just want to add on to time in there just that <laughs> i loved even with it and we won't get all graphic here but i just want to say that even within sex that there's this idea that like there's a right way to be and there's a right way to feel things and there's a right we do have these conceptions in society that some things are right and some things are wrong. And so I loved all of that too. So I think it tied into Quan's recovery from cancer and him feeling like his body's supposed to look the right way and that there's a wrong way and a right way. And then right. with Anna and like what brings her pleasure and what doesn't and how she is so humiliated by that. But because of that, like that she would rather, again, it's all about masking. And so for her, yes, she is on the spectrum. She's working through that. But I think also there's just this idea that all of us think there's like a right and wrong way. And because of that, we do all these things that we assume 
are correct mm -hmm. or, you know, that people are going to think we're weird and that we should be humiliated or embarrassed. And same with the documentaries. I think there's so many times where it's like, that is who you are as a person. And yeah. yet there's like a shame that you, that she wants to watch the documentaries and uh -huh. chat about those and like <laughs> some other show, you know? And I, I just loved that. I loved that about being true to yourself. And I felt like that was mm -hmm. a huge part of the book, finding yeah. a way to work through what is, what is the way you really are. <sighs> There's so much to talk about. Oh, no. It's going to be an epic chat. Uh, we started this episode saying it would be short and yeah, it, we're not headed in that direction. Anyway. <laughs> all right. We will move on now to our pairings. Sarah, what book would you recommend as a pairing for this one? I'm going to recommend Jasmine Guillory's The Wedding Date. I read this a while back and what I, this one is not quite, it doesn't tackle as many serious issues as the heart principle. It, it doesn't have that sadness because I think there is, there's a point in the book that's very sad and it was difficult to read. So this one does, this one focuses more on the relationship and the romance, but what I think what makes it a good pairing for the heart principle is Guillory like Huang that they write and like people from other books that she write other romances show up. So like in the heart principle, Michael and Stella were from another Huang book. And I really, really like that. So, mm -hmm. um, so Jasmine Guillory does this with the wed her wedding date series. The, this book is about Alexa and Drew, which is, this is also reminds me a bit of Quan and Anna's relationship. They are in an elevator and end up going to a wedding together. I mean, they were complete strangers, end up going to a wedding together. They live in different parts of the country, but they have this really amazing time at the wedding. And then they, you know, they, they go their separate ways and then they can't stop thinking about each other and romance ensues. So I just felt like there were some similarities and I just really loved that this book when I read it. And I wanted to, we've talked about it on the pod before, but I just wanted to, again, talk about it. And it's number one in this wedding date series. So it, that is Jasmine Guillory's and it is the wedding date. Yeah. I'm glad to read parent. that, Sarah. <laughs> oh, Ashley, you're going to love. Yeah. Cause you read the, uh, I've Christmas only read, one, right? I've only read Royal Holiday, which yeah. I absolutely loved, but I, yes, I, I will read that soon and report back. Cause that sounds amazing. Ashley, how about you? What's your pairing? So Longtime listeners know that Talia Hibbert is my other <laughs> go-to romance writer. I absolutely love her work, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to use this pairing because I just feel like it tackles a lot of similar issues of exploration of being on the spectrum as an adult and what that can look like. So this is Talia Hibbert's actor age, Eve Brown. And I absolutely love this whole series, The Brown Sisters. But I think what works, and, and exactly what Sarah was saying about Guillory and Huang, you have the characters who come in and out of the different books. And so the other sisters are in this one as well, but it doesn't matter the order. This is book three, and you could start with this one. But in this, Eve is trying to get her life together. She feels like everybody thinks she's flighty and that she can't keep a job and that she doesn't have a clear plan. And so in an effort to seem to her family like she has a job, she kind of stumbles her way into a bed and breakfast and in, in a town, like she's like driving back from her, her, her parents' house. And she's like, I am going to get my life together. <laughs> and, and so she goes into this bed and breakfast and they're hiring a chef and she, there is a very gruff, innkeeper, Jacob, 
who is very upfront with people and she is everything he does not want in a chef and yet his friend kind of pushes him into going ahead and hiring her because they are at crisis point and absolutely need somebody in the kitchen for the bread and breakfast and so because of that eve starts working there and it is hilarious it is really fun to read but like huang's book i love that jacob and eve are both really complicated people who have real lives they have real problems they're working out that are beyond the constraints of the relationship i felt like the part that is really similar is the discovery that you are on the spectrum as an adult and so there is i'm trying not to give too many spoilers but you do know right up front that jacob is autistic he says that whenever he meets people He's very upfront about it, but then there's exploration of what it means to be on the spectrum. And so some things come along in the book that I think are really illuminating. And I think that both Huang and Hibbert do a really great job of exploring women on the spectrum and how it could come to pass that women are in their thirties and don't know that that is true about them and yet can discover that. I mean, we see that with Anna where when her therapist opens that door for her, she can't stop reading all the articles because of course it's like a key and a lock that she did not know was true that suddenly illuminates all these parts of her life that she's never understood and so i think both of them explore that in their books in a way and i mean again that's like an ongoing thing in each of the author's work that that idea is being explored in a really meaningful way and how understanding things about yourself can really help you live a more fulfilling life and so i think that is really true i also think both of them are really sex positive in their books, very body positive. And so I think you see those explorations as well. Um, we talked about it with Huang's book, but we see it in Actor Age Eve Brown as well. So yeah, so I couldn't pass up saying Talia Hibbert's Actor Age Eve Brown. I think it is a great pairing for this one. Yes, yes, those parallels are great. And I, I do think, yeah, I think when authors do that well, I want them to do that in every book because I think yeah. it's just an underrepresented part of the romance of romance books. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jen? What's your pairing? So I went in a little bit of a different direction after much debate, and I am going to recommend Michelle Zahner's Crying in H Mart. So this one is a memoir and it is about Zahner's grieving for her mother who has died. She had cancer, but it's also about the way that Zahner cares for her. And I think it deals in a very similar way to the heart principle with just the toll that that kind of caregiving can take on a person because it, in the heart principle, of course, we see this with Anna and Priscilla and their mom caring for her father and you see the way that they are simultaneously grieving for the person that they are losing, but also just the physical and mental and emotional toll that can take. And I think Zahner deals with that so well in crying in H Mart. I just, she's honest and vulnerable in sharing what it meant to her to do it and why she needed to do it. But also the fact that it is so agonizing and so, difficult just to continue to push through in that sort of situation and the complexities of caring for the person, feeling like it's something you need to do, but also the fact that there is some resentment there and just how isolating it can feel. I just thought that was so well done in both books. Of course, the books are quite, quite different. And so the tones are really different, 
but I felt like that part of each book, there were some strong parallels there. So, and yeah, so that is Michelle's honors crying in H Mart, which I think if that part of the heart principle resonated with you, this memoir would as well. I love that memoir so much. It was so beautiful. I did too. And I felt like, yeah, it just, in both situations, I just appreciated how, again, I think there's an idea that there's like a right or honorable way to be in those situations. And I think both books really break down that construct that there's a certain way to be a caretaker and that you have to be that way in order to take care of your loved one. I felt like they both really challenged that idea in a way I appreciate because, yeah, I think a lot of times we see that as one-sided, that there's you know, it, you have to be all on board, that you're never going to feel resentment or frustration or anything for yourself. And so I think they really show that. And then how much of a strain it is on the people in the family, like between each other, how how hard that, you know, with Zahner and her dad, I mean, it's those tensions between them that I think are explored in both as well. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up this book club discussion with our bookish hearts. Ashley, how many bookish hearts would you give this? Five bookish hearts. I loved it. Sarah? I'm going with four bookish hearts. How about you, Jen? I'm going with five as well. All right. Well, we would love to know what you think about this one. You can find us on at unabridged pod on social media. And yeah, just let us know what you thought. To close out our episode, we are going to do our give me one. And this topic is favorite podcasts. So Sarah, give me one favorite podcast. My favorite podcast is the Popcast because I love all things pop culture. And I think that the hosts are hilarious. <laughs> Ashley, how about you? I listen to tons of podcasts every week mm-hmm. because it is my job and I love the ones that I work with, but I really don't listen that often on my own, but I love She Podcasts. I listen to their podcast some, but I also get their newsletter. I follow them on social media and I really trust them. I trust what they say. It's Elsie and Jess are the hosts and I just love the information they share. I love the way they share it. Yeah, I think they're amazing. So she podcasts. What about you, Jen? So I mentioned this recently in a give me one, but I can't resist mentioning it again. Pop culture happy hour is, yeah, just makes my everyday a little bit brighter. And like Sarah, I like pop culture. And that is a really fun, fast listen every morning. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to our discussion of the heart principle. Again, you can let us know what you think. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter where you can get lots of great information about unabridged. You can go to unabridgedpod.com to sign up for that. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.